Welcome everyone to this Sunday service. Uh, this is actually a good attendance for Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I'm very grateful for being a part of this community. As you know, I come from India and we just celebrated 20 years of Ananda being there. And one of the greatest desires of all the members of Ananda in India is a spiritual community. But uh, a work has to reach a certain maturity, disciples have to reach a certain maturity for it to manifest. I hope it manifests because I see the blessing uh, being here, luckily, of being in a spiritual community so that uh, I can become free and I can watch others, great souls everywhere, become free also. So I want to start with a reading and this is from the children's prayer section of Whispers from Eternity. This one is called, so as, we, as I read this, let's keep in mind, it's written by Yogananda for little children. Come to me as peace in sleep and as joy when I'm awake. Dear Heavenly Father, when I'm asleep, come to me as peace. When I'm awake, come to me as joy. When I give kindness to others, come to me as love. When I run, run with high energy through my legs. When I think, send understanding through my thoughts. When I use willpower, send thy willpower through me. Teach me to think, play, behave, and use my will rightly, for thou art always by me. I love to be guided by thee, for thou, more even than my parents, dost always wish the best for me. And I think oftentimes the children's prayers are far easier for us to understand and know what the purpose of spiritual, uh, the spiritual path is. I like that line, I love to be guided by thee. And sometimes that guidance comes in difficult ways which is where we come to this complex topic of the law of karma, uh, bondage or soul release. Now, uh, this was not an easy topic for me to think about because I've heard so many things about it. I've heard that it's all grace, it's a blessing from God, whatever karma comes. And on the other hand, I've also heard that you practice kriya and burn your karmic seeds before they sprout. And so I'm figuring out, well, should I burn my seeds or wait for them to sprout so that it's a divine grace that comes to me? And uh, is all the karma a blessing? Because you see the world, you see what people are going through right now, and it doesn't always seem like a blessing. Well, and I'll share my resolution of these thoughts with you, and there might be other interpretations that are possible. Uh, one is the topic of this Sunday service is interesting. It's called the law of karma, bondage, or soul release. It's not called karma, bondage, or soul release. There's a difference between the law of karma and there's a difference between karma. And if we want to know is something a blessing or not, we should try, generally, you know, try to see who the author of something is. Who's the author of the law of karma? God. Who's the author of karma? Not God, we create our own karma. And so, understood right, the law of karma 
created by the divine as a principle that upholds harmony. That's what the law of karma does. It keeps the universe moving towards harmony. It keeps individuals moving towards harmony. If we do the right things, it brings blessings. If we err, it prevents us from doing more wrongs by giving correctives. That's simply what the law of karma does. So is it soul release or bondage? Always soul release, because the purpose of it is benign, is benevolent. But karma is not created by the divine. Who's the author of karma? We are. And as human beings do, as it says in the Bhagavad Gita, human beings perform actions of three kinds, which brings fruits of three kinds, neutral, positive, negative. And so same with karma too. Since it's created by human beings, some karma is a blessing, helps with soul release. Some is neutral. Some keeps us in bondage. This is why we use the technique or a technique such as Kriya Yoga to burn the seeds of karma before they germinate. It's very important to remember that. And I know we should think of all karma that comes to us as a blessing. But I'll give you a few examples and I have spent the last few days trying to see how this karma was a blessing. I could not. And if somebody can, I would be interested in hearing from you later how such a karma can be thought of as a blessing. And the unfortunate subject of my first example is probably the most unfortunate person in the history of religion, Judas. You know, he always if you want to find somebody who goofed up, he's the one who comes to the fore. Uh, but anyway, remember what he did. He betrayed Jesus. And he did so because he had the karma to do so. He was the only one of the 12 who was propelled, impelled rather, from within to behave in a certain way. Now, maybe somebody can tell me how that karma that Judas had of betraying his guru was a blessing. I couldn't figure out how, but there might be an interpretation. It would have been better in my mind if he had been able to burn that karma up in its seed form through whatever technique of meditation or whatever it is. Many other examples on the spiritual path, you see people who are very, very sincere. But just the right thing that can take them away from the path comes up and they end up leaving. You know, it's oftentimes people who leave are very sincere people. It's just they find the right job opportunity or something else happens that impels them to move on. They have all the other good karmas, but here's one thing that suddenly sprouted, took them away. When Swami Kriyananda met uh, uh, Yogananda for the first time, Yogananda told him something. He said, you have good karma, that's why I'm accepting you. I want you to know I'm meeting you because Divine Mother told me to meet you. But then he also said, there was somebody else who read the autobiography all the way from Sweden and flew in right away. But Divine Mother told me to not meet her. That too was that woman's karma and maybe somebody can explain how that is a blessing. I don't know. Yogananda had a disciple called Daniel Boone and Yogananda would tell him, if you leave now, your karma is such that for 200 years you'll find it hard to come back to this point of spiritual evolution. And despite being with an avatar, hearing those statements from an avatar, having the blessing of being with a self-realized soul, he left. Again, sometimes the point I'm making here is some karmas are so strong 
that they prevent us from seeing the spiritual path as a blessing. They take us away. And this is the reason that we talk about burning our karma before it comes to fruition. So again, coming back, the law of karma, all about soul release. But we carry seeds of karma within our own spine, which we created, karmic tendencies, which can be very, very powerful. And they sprout one fine day, we don't know, we don't get prior notification that it's about to happen. And in such a way, we think we are going strong. And if your karma is really bad enough, you think you are going strong when you're gone astray. You don't even realize you've gone astray. It's that complex. So what do we do about it? We have to find release from karma. And how do we do that? I want to read uh, some excerpts from this book, Essence of Self-Realization. There's a chapter, Working Out Karma. And this is all relevant to what we are going through. So uh, some disciple once said to Yogananda, it all seems so complicated, Master, lamented a disciple. When I think of all the actions one initiates in a, in a single lifetime, and then multiply them by God knows how many more lifetimes, I'm appalled. The interactions of cause and effect must be literally endless. So they are, and we want to remember this line, as long as one tries to work out his karma in the outer world. One desire leads to another, and that one to still others. Every desire must be fulfilled, every action brought to completion. Even trivial desires pursued the disciple in dismay. And this next line is personally very hard for me. What about some little wish that I might have had once, years ago, for an ice cream cone? <laughs> Even that, replied the master emphatically, any energy that you put out, however slight, must return to you eventually. And this is where I'll end, where Yogananda says, uh, the disciple flung his hands up in despair. Then it seems all quite, then it all seems quite hopeless. As well might one try calming the waves on the ocean. And so there's a few lines here. One is, as long as one tries to work out his karma in the outer world, the interactions of cause and effect are literally endless. And we will come back to that in just a minute. But I remember when I first read this line about the ice cream cone, and even an ice cream cone uh, creating karmic entanglements, I remember that story Nayaswami Pranavar told once. You know, he was just saying there was this classroom of kids, and um, there was a cookie jar, and there was a basket of apples. And the teacher knew that the students would try to take more than the cookies allotted to them. So he had a little sticker pasted on the cookie jar saying, take only one. God is watching. And so the smart aleck in the class whispered to his students, take as many apples as you like because God is watching the cookies. <laughs> anyway, with that as my inspiration, I said to myself, well, I know the solution. I won't get any more ice cream cones, and I started getting only ice cream tubs. Because, uh, you know, Master just told there about ice cream cones creating karmic entanglement. But that's not true. As you know, smartness might work in a human court of law. 
where a smart lawyer can prove true, untrue, untrue, true. But here the trial is not by jury, it's by our own conscience. And there's no God who judges us. Our own conscience has an unfailing, complete record which brings to fruition whatever needs to manifest. And so that is not the solution. So what's the solution? I know uh, an incident in my own life. This was uh, almost a decade ago. I was in Mumbai at that time. I was living in Pune, but every weekend I would go to Mumbai to help with the work there. And I would stay with this, um, uh, my uncle and aunt and my cousin who were in Mumbai. They were all Priyabans. The cousin took Kriya when he was 15 years old. And he would sometimes, you know, we have such a warm relationship, tell me all the jokes he heard in school because he knew I, I liked humor. And so he told me a completely innocent joke, which I later realized is very much relevant to how uh, we tackle the spiritual path. And in this joke, he said, there was a teacher who was always troubled by a naughty student. And so the teacher was waiting for the day of the exam to get sweet revenge, you know, because he knew the student didn't study and she could uh, give him what he deserved for all the trouble she, he had caused her for a whole year. And sure, it was an oral exam. The teacher would ask questions one-on-one. -on -one, and uh, the student was already shivering. He was scared. He hadn't studied. He knew he had been a troublemaker and the teacher was out to get him, so to speak. And so he was expecting to be slaughtered, basically, in the test. And so this little boy comes, sits in front of the teacher, all shivering, and the teacher says, all right, here's your question related to the subject of physics. You know, he says, she says, and we can all do this. She, she said, close your eyes. I want all of us to close our eyes because I want all of us to think about this question. And she said, imagine you are on a big lake, okay? And the lake is very still. There's nobody on the shore. There's no other boats except the one boat you are in. I hope you're closing your eyes and have this imagination clearly. So you are on a lake, it's completely still, just one boat, you are in the boat with one oar, and the lake is filled with crocodiles. There's no other pe person uh, who you can shout to for help. You don't have a phone, you can't call 911. And uh, suddenly you realize that there's a hole in your boat, and it's about to sink. And as you know, the, tease, the boy is getting scared more and more as he imagines this. So, and then she says, what would you do? And the boy is so scared, he just shouts, teacher, I would quit imagining. <laughs> and that was the right answer. The reason when my cousin told me this story was I realized, you know, this is the science of yoga. While we are dealing with karma in the realm of karma and being in this dream and trying to fix it all within this dream, it does not work. We have to learn to quit imagining. We have to wake up. And this is actually the solution. Like I, I read one part of Yogananda's conversation where he said it's hopeless if you try working karma out one good deed at a time, one bad deed at a time. So what is the solution? And this is why, this is one of the most inspiring parts of this book for me. Because here Yogananda talks about the Jivan Mukta, which is the one way we wake up or we quit imagining. And this is from the same chapter, Working Out Karma. And this is how it goes. To a struggling disciple, Yogananda said, 
your job for now is to get to God. Don't worry about all the karma you will still have to complete. Let God worry about that. I'm all for that, by the way. First, destroy in yourself the source of karmic involvement. That source is your attachment to the ego. Once your ego is merged in him, then any actions you perform will no longer revert to yourself. They will leave no trace in your mind. In severing yourself from egoic involvement in any action that you perform, you will have cut the guardian knot of delusion. This is the state of the Jivan Mukta, one who is free inside even while living in this world. Being inwardly free, nothing he does can ever affect him again. The Jivan Mukta, this is actually fascinating too, the Jivan Mukta through visions may work out the karma of an entire lifetime in one meditation. If he reincarnates, he may even do so simultaneously in several bodies in order the more quickly to work out his past karma. The important thing first is to get to God. Once you succeed in bringing his light into the dimly lit room of your consciousness, your spiritual darkness will vanish forever. And this is actually the only way out to become a Jivan Mukta. Yogananda elsewhere made a fascinating statement in this great book. The binding force between human action and cosmic reaction is the ego. As long as we have a sense of I, whatever we do reverts to that I. The law of karma has to keep working. But if that I, the sense of I, is dissolved by realizing our true nature is spirit, then automatically the effects of past karma stop reverting back to us. You know, this Jeevan Mukta is a really cool dude or cool fellow. I want to list out all the things, all the blessings that come with being a Jeevan Mukta and I'll save the best for the last. It's not mentioned here, but you'll see why it's so good. Uh, one, once you dissolve your ego as a Jivan Mukta, you don't create new karma, which reverts to you. Two, even the effects of past karma don't really touch you because you know you are spirit. Those past karmas that you have accrued by acting through ego, even if they need to be worked out, they don't really uh, scratch the surface of your consciousness of bliss. Three, you can burn lifetimes of karma in meditation just through visions. Four, you can incarnate in many bodies if you like and work out karma that way. Fifth, we understand what it is all about. Remember that quote that uh, Sundara read from Ray's where Swami says, it's not through ego consciousness but through super consciousness from above that we figure out the ins and outs of destiny. Why is the world in such a situation? Why is somebody being hurt? Why is the good people winning or the good people are losing? Can't get the answers while we are in this state. But as a Jeevan Mukta, we can, we understand. And then I said I would share the final most important perk of being a Jeevan Mukta. You can have as many ice cream cones as you want <laughs> without creating any karmic entanglement, you know, because the sense of I has been dissolved. Anyway, that's just for fun. But remember, the, 
Maybe it motivates some of you to work harder to reach that state, I don't know. You know, the law of karma and all the yogic principles have to be understood from bliss. It can't be understood from suffering and sorrow. The superconscious state is a state of perfect bliss. And so the more we realize these truths and try to understand and assimilate them from that level, we can function better, even on this plane, even while we are in delusion, and help others with our light, our love, our joy. But if we have long faces, we can't really do much. Swami used to say, if you find things in the world that are difficult, respond productively. If you just do in sorrow, you're not helping anybody. If you just suffer, you're not helping anybody. And some of it is natural. But be an instrument of higher consciousness. And to be that, you have to have that higher consciousness. So we all, as Yogananda said, should aim to become Jivan Muktas in this lifetime. It is possible. This is why Yogananda said we gave, he, he gave the teachings, the technique, the path of Kriya Yoga. And just to summarize, how does one become a Jivan Mukta? And how does Kriya Yoga help with this? One, we have to dissolve our ego. Two, on the way to dissolving our ego, we have to have a way of burning the seeds of karma because they can take us off the path. We say we are going to do nothing else from today but dissolve our ego and then a karmic seed sprouts and off we go before we know what happened to us. So it's not enough to just say I'm going to dissolve my ego but we have to have a technique that burns our karmic seeds also. And then there's a third thing which I'll come to at the very last but Kriya Yoga dissolves the ego very simply by giving us an experience of God. It puts us in contact with the Om vibration, whether you hear it, whether you see it, whether you feel it, and then it expands us more and more deeply in that experience until the ego starts becoming smaller and smaller in comparison. It starts occupying a smaller and smaller space in our consciousness. And not just that, Kriya burns seeds of karma. Here are a couple lines from a letter Yogananda wrote a disciple. A devotee's life is never all roses and honey, for many latent desires of the past remain buried in the spinal region, ready to spring forth when conditions are right. These tendencies must be burned in the fire of meditation the current which is revolved around the spine while practicing Kriya is so intense that it literally bakes the seeds of karma. Let me read that again. The current which is revolved around the spine while practicing Kriya is so intense that it literally bakes the seeds of karma. So if you practice Kriya regularly and with ever-increasing devotion for God, you will reach the goal in the end. So an experience of God Kriya gives us burning the seeds of karma in the spine. Kriya does that. Now here's a third thing because, you know, my brain works in a certain way. And if I hear statements, I have to know whether they are true or not. And some time ago, I've heard a few times that somebody in India explained the difference between karma and Kriya by saying Kriya is an action that doesn't create karma. And when I first heard that, I had to know whether it was true that way because Master did not describe Kriya in that way. And I'll offer you something which maybe we can take home uh, if it makes sense. As long as we have an ego, 
Any action we do brings a reaction. It's only the Jivan Mukta who has dissolved the ego who stops creating new personal karma. So if we have ego and we practice Kriya, it has to create some sort of karma. And I say it's a blessing that Kriya does create the right kind of karma. This line that I want to read is from the chapter on Kriya Yoga from Autobiography of a Yogi. And you might see, perhaps it's the most important blessing of deep Kriya practice. So this is from the AY. A yogi who dies before achieving full realization carries with him the good karma of his past Kriya effort. In his new life, he is harmoniously propelled towards his infinite goal. And so, when we practice Kriya, so this is why the yogic parlance says you have to take one thorn to remove the thorn that's in your foot and throw both thorns away. We use our ego to get rid of ego consciousness. We have an ego by practicing Kriya deeply, we create the karma that will keep us going strongly on the spiritual path, even if the job isn't finished in this lifetime. So Kriya not only burns karma, not only gives us an experience of God, but adds intensely to that store of karma that will bring us again and again to the spiritual path. How many people here born in families that didn't speak the word yoga, born in different countries, I'm talking about the online people also, or born in a family of Kriya Yogis, somehow have landed here, but, or are practicing Kriya from wherever you are. That's because the past effort of practicing Kriya deeply has magnetically brought you back here on this path. So one of the greatest ways to make sure we stay steadfast is the deep practice of Kriya Yoga. This is why Yogananda ended the autobiography, the penultimate line in that great scripture, he said, may all humans realize that there's a definite technique of self-effort for overcoming of all human misery. So by the practice of Kriya, we can become Jivan Muktas. I see it not necessarily in myself, but in many others, even if it's not myself, I see them becoming lighter and lighter, joy-filled, bliss-filled. Most people don't realize that they are becoming saintly, which is good, that means they're not developing an ego. Uh, you know, if you think, oh, I'm becoming so saintly day by day, look how saintly I was compared to yesterday, uh, then there is something wrong there. We are just building ego. So let me finish this talk by again singing praises of Kriya. This is the last line, uh, last excerpt from the chapter, The Highway to the Infinite. I can take, Yogananda says this, I can take a few young men of the most restless sort and let them practice Kriya for two hours every day in the way I tell them. And without question, in four or five years, I can make saints out of them. I won't preach a single sermon to them. I will simply tell them to practice Kriya two hours a day and they will see the difference in their lives. That is a good challenge. Of course, they must practice in the way that I tell them. That won't be easy, but it's surely worth the effort. Many blessings. Praise ye the Lord, all creatures, He who did make the mountains, he who did make the woods and fields, he who made the sky. Praise him who gave us gladness, praise him.
him who fills our hearts with song. Praise him who lifts their notes on high, there where earthly hopes belong. Praise ye the Lord, all creatures, he who did make the seasons, he who did make the hush of night, he who made the sun. Praise him who gave us laughter, praise him who taught our hearts to love, praise him and thank him everyone, seek him in his light above, praise him who gave us laughter, praise him who taught our hearts to love, praise him and thank him everyone, seek him in his light In the Spirit, I, John, on the isle that is called Patmos, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Thus may all men know him, the fountain of salvation. Was a day sanctified by God. There he showed me the truths of heaven, truths which all seeking him should know. How the soul made to live in freedom can reclaim its eternal right how the night born of our delusions can be fired blazing with his light 